Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, friendo, Steve here. And Lars. And welcome back to Going In Raw, the only pro wrestling podcast you need to be listening to. New emergency breaking news. Yeah, stuff. I get the feeling, man. We're gonna we're this is gonna happen on kind of a semi regular basis. Yeah, I mean it's, it confirms stuff that we heard several times over more recently uh, or most recently when some anonymous caller named Scott called in the Wade Keller podcast. <laughs> Great, Scott. And we've heard this kind of stuff from former writers, but it's not very often we hear it from former talents in this level of detail. Well, I'm ta- I'm just in general, from a macro sense, I'm speaking on the idea that this this kind of stuff, now that there's kind of, you get the sense that there's kind of a, a war on the horizon. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, it's such a silly way to put it, but ever since the, the phrase Monday Night Wars was a thing, that's sort of what it's referred to. Uh, this kind of stuff where people just drop bombshells, they lob cannonballs at the WWE, and then we, you know, we like to talk about it, respond to it. And I mean, sometimes it's like, yeah, let's wait till the Friday show, or hey, let's do it on the Monday show. But today is like Wednesday; it's literally smack dab in the yeah, middle of the week, and everybody. Really I mean, I, I know I see your point about bombshells and such, but this more or less confirms stuff we've been hearing for years about Vince. There's in, in a yeah, macro oh, yeah, sense, you're, yeah, sure. There's absolutely nothing new here. Yeah. It's just a level of detail. Um, that the former Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley, Jonathan Good, went into about uh, why he left WWE. Um, you know, he describes Vince as more or less uh, 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 uncreative, uh, hack for the most part. Well, they both him and Jericho. Yeah. Uh, so this is I don't know if you're, he he was on Talk to Jericho. Moxley yeah. was on the Talk to Jericho podcast. Yeah, I showed up this morning on my. It was know. like an hour and a half long. Yeah, and and. Uh, Vince seems, for the most part, fairly tactless. The thing that they both say, too, is... Uh, He's basically a man... He describes Vince as a man-child, pretty much. And just the most micromanaging... For every, every... Look, everything that seems obvious as day... Yeah. Everything that just seems as clear as can be is validated. And, in fact, the career in WWE of Dean Ambrose is everything that that people have talked about with him. Oh, it, it you know, his... He's just the quirky guy. He's not really lunatic fringe. It's all stuff that he hated. Yeah. And it's all stuff. What, what What's the one defining image of him as WWE champion, Larson? When he had that, that giant yellow cowboy hat and on. And he literally refers to him wear, having to wear a goofy hat in this as WWE champion. 
And all that stuff is so completely... It seems antithetical to what he wanted to do. And moreover, like when we when we would refer to Dean Ambrose uh, on the show, uh, all the stuff that he is talking about here translates to the we, problems we had with the character. Oh, totally. And it, it's it's just an absolute shame. Yeah, that. Well, I mean, it's, it's a shame on on, on uh, for him. Yeah. Because. Obviously, he was so creatively unfulfilled that he thought it was better to leave than to stay. And two, I would think it'd be a shame from WWE's perspective because there's probably a lot of money they left behind uh, going down the route of making, hey, quirky Dean Ambrose instead of the character he probably wanted to portray. Yeah. Which, if you're looking for Stone Cold's a once in a million talent. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for someone who could kind of capture that mold, Dean Ambrose is your guy. He, he, you know, honestly, man, here's here's the thing about the theory that Stone Cold. I I, I agree. I think Stone Cold is. Uh, well, I, I don't. I honestly, I I don't know. I think that he is. I think that the guy that talks like that. But I mean, you can look at Stone Cold while he was stunning Steve Austin and while he was uh, the the ringmaster. Yeah. It's it was eventually when he sort of decided, hey, I need a rebrand, and then his wife came up with the Stone Cold name, and he was watching the the Hitman documentary on HBO when he realized, this is what I need to be. He cracked creatively what he could be. Yeah. But before that, if he had never done that, if he had remained the ringmaster and, and dwindled in the mid-card oh, for two he, years... He would have been uh, another forgotten talent. And how many talents, how many, how many superstars right now in the WWE, Dean Ambrose, I've said for a million years, I know you agree with this, Kevin Owens... Mm-hmm could be easily a breakout stone cold type level yeah, talent yeah, yeah. if creative breaks him the proper way. I, I think basically 75% of the WWE roster, if not the entire thing has the, the potential to be huge, 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 huge stars. Yeah, I agree. If they weren't under the creative purview of one old man. Yeah. Who's seemingly lost touch. Who with, micromanages within yeah. an inch of everybody's lives. Yeah. And yeah, seemingly lives. has lost touch on like the, the, the pulse of popular culture. Yeah. Like he seemingly has no idea of, of, of like creatively, he's still stuck in maybe the early '90s, Vince. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how he develops character, he still develops caricatures. Yeah, based on what uh, Ambrose has said. Yeah, he, he, I mean, we can go through this bit by bit. These transcripts are from various outlets, um, mm-hmm. uh, but we can do a quick little recap of some of it. So he talks about the moment he decided he wanted to to leave, and that was July 2018 when he was recovering from his tricep surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, quote, I tore my tricep knowing that would be like a four-month thing, but it was so banged up and bruised because I had been working on it hurt for a long time. And the tendon was all mangled and everything. It was a minimum of like six months. Then I got a staph infection. Then I had to go into surgery again. It turned to like nine months. It was a mess. Very miserable time in my life. Very challenging. I wonder. I don't think he mentioned this. Um, it was a, a, a situation where he's like, I did this to my body and for what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Essentially, you know, yeah. if he, yeah. if that was when he decided he wanted to leave, is when he was mending um, from surgery. Uh, but he also said that he didn't want to ask for his release or quit um, for two reasons: one, he didn't make things weird for his wife Renee mm-hmm. Young; two, if he served out the duration of his contract, he would get all his royalties for DVDs and such. Yeah, he he specifically illustrated two points, two. Uh, two, two moments yeah. where he made the decision 
uh, that that sort of solidified it in his head that I, I'm out of here. Uh, the first, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. The first one uh, was he said. So one day I come into t- one. One of them is the doc, the doctor skit, which is not surprising. Which is not surprising at all. One of the things before we get into like his, his actual quotes here, one of the things that is so striking about this and something that you kind of just uh, talked about a moment ago is when he would go into Vince's office. And he said he did it countless times, like week after week after week, he'd go into Vince's office and try to convince the old man why his way was best. And this quote from him is, it seems like the same every time. Vince says, oh, no. It it basically is, a writer's given Dean something stupid to do that doesn't make any sense. He'd take it to Vince and Vince say, no, this is who you are. Vince thinks he knows better who these people are. I'm bringing... What, something to the table. Mm-hmm. I know what that is. It's your job to fit that within the context of the story to best entertain the people. And it has to all make sense. Yeah. You don't know who I am. No. no. Vince doesn't know who these people are. I doubt, I doubt Vince knows the name of half people on his roster. That's probably true as well. He says, so one day I come into TV like normal. At this time, I think I'm on SmackDown. I'm a good guy, babyface. A pretty major good guy on the show, basically the lead good guy in the show at this point. I come in and get a backstage promo handed to me from a writer. Writer is going to be a key word in this podcast you'll find in the word script. I get a script handed to me, which is stunning that a guy like Dean Ambrose, we've always speculated about that. We've always thought guys like him, Kevin Owens, The New Day, there's a handful of guys who would probably be given... A significant amount of creative license in terms of how their characters are portrayed on the, on screen. Apparently, that's not the case. Uh, we but, should say this this chunk of transcription here is from uh, Russell Zone. Russell Zone, yes. By the way, just as an aside, I kind of wonder that this this very indirectly. He never says any bad words about like Seth or Roman or anything like that. But this kind of I'm sorry, but this indirectly really makes Seth Rollins look like kind of an asshole. Do you remember there was a fan convention kind of recently mm-hmm. when a fan asked him about scripted promos yeah. and how they kind of don't work? And Seth kind of condescendingly says, not kind of condescendingly, condescendingly says, well, are you backstage? Because I've never seen you back there. So how would you know how it works? Oh. I'm sorry, but if you're going to be a dick to fans like that when we obviously know what's going on, yeah. that's that's not cool, man. Yeah, that's that. crap. That's a bunch of crap. Because Dean is basically, John Moxley has basically just validated all the bullshit that we've mm-hmm. heard. Mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, he continues. Uh, I get a script handed to me by a writer, right? And it's it's a backstage promo, and it's me describing the things I did on the way to the arena that day. These are things that an idiot would do, like things along the lines of driving backwards on the street in a unicycle or sharing a pizza with a homeless man on the street, just weird stuff like that. So I'm like, I'm not saying any of that. So I'm like, change all that, rewrite it just as something normal. Go about my business. Writer comes back to me later. Vince redid it. Put all that stuff back in. So I'm like, uh, now I have to go in and talk to Vince. I'm like, yo, I can't say all this stuff. It's ridiculous. And he's like, oh, it's such good shit. Oh, this stuff. This is the reason people like you. It's why they connect to you because you're different. This is you. And I've had a million conversations with him that are almost this exact same conversation about similar promos or things. And I said, so I'm an idiot. Or he said, so I'm an idiot. And he goes, no, it's you. You're different. And I'm like, okay. And I don't know where we landed on that particular promo or whatever, but it kind of sums up the battle that I've been fighting for six years. Vince doesn't know who these characters are. No, that's, they're that's these plainly obvious. Weird, sort of whimsical, whatever he finds silly or funny in the moment. That's the case, but based on, let's assume that Vince is very uh, hands on 
with these promos that are that his talents have to be, deliver on a regular basis. Yeah, it would explain to a certain degree the uniformity of them. Yeah, nobody stands out. Right, for the yeah. most part. Yeah, some do based on the powers, uh, the the force of their personalities. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people are, are given more creative license than others, but by and large, promos are cookie cutter these days. Yeah, they are. And it would explain why. They are. If Vince really has no idea of who any of these characters really are, yeah, then you're going to get these generic sounding promos. Yeah. Because uh, no one has a distinct <laughs> voice. Yeah. Uh, he talks about um, how he went through uh, depression. He, uh, he would talk about laying in bed in the morning, not wanting to get out of bed. Yeah. Dreading going into the office, dreading figuring out. He, he talks extensively about the writing system at WWE. He says, he says I'm going to tell you how it works. I mean, I don't really even know how it works, but I'll, I'll try to figure it out. And he talks about, and we've kind of heard this before, how there's the home office of writing team of a writing team, and they're all concocting stuff. And he says there's a ton of red tape and bureaucracy that that stuff has to get cleared. And who knows if it gets cleared or not? And then maybe it gets cleared, and then it goes to like other writers on the road, and then it goes to Vince, and then it just it, it's all figured out at that point. Yeah, it's that's insane. That's insane. I mean, what what do we know about the process at All Elite? It's like... I'm sure the the, the talents are briefed on storylines and they maybe are given bullet points and then go talk. Literally. So yesterday, uh, uh, the, the Best Friends uh, video yeah, package the best thing. Uh, was released uh, in proper HD form yes, yes. Uh, by All Elite Wrestling oh, at the behest it, of Chucky e. T. At the insistence of Chuck Taylor. Yes. And uh, he even shared a text message. With Cody, yes. With Cody and, uh, and Trent. Trent. And Cody said... Uh, said it like an early version of it and said, what do you think? What do you think? And he said, it's kind of cool, but maybe we can use some like dogs. Oh, a couple puppies floating around there. A couple puppies. And then Cody says, shoot, we can do that. Meaning for reals. Yeah. For reals. You want it. We can do that. And then uh, uh, Chuck also said, and maybe some aliens and ghosts in there yeah. too. Now, and mind you, mind you, Cody seems like a very busy person. Yes. But he is personally overseeing the video package of the best friends. Personally overseeing while not controlling it. Right. Overseeing it. Yes. Like asking the talent, it's, hey, what does, do you think? Does this make you happy? Does this represent what you're all right, about? Right, exactly. And in, on the other side, Vince is telling the talent what represents them, who they are all yeah. about. Yeah. It's a huge difference. He discusses, um, he talks about uh, when he did return, how he understands. And this is kind of, this is... I, this is the kind of stuff like, for example, like the, the, some of this stuff doesn't bug me per se, but I can understand why it does bug pe- some people. Sometimes I can consider it nitpicking, but to each their own, uh, the sound effects in Ricochet's thing. Dean says, now he didn't reference that directly, but he says it's the little things that they get wrong all the time. The little things are the details that mm-hmm, matter. Mm-hmm. He referenced his return when uh, 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 Seth was up on the stage, and uh, who did he fight at a SummerSlam? Um, he had Drew, the dude had, whoever it was had Drew in his corner. I'm just blanking right now. Yeah, I'm blanking too, sorry. So he said, the guy said, I've got a Scottish psychopath with me, and Seth's response is, you might have a, a psychopath, but I have a lunatic. And Dean said, man, if they had just hit my music, and they would have gotten the big, massive pop and not the, he said there were four little pops. You want the big, massive pop. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's not Seth's fault. He had to read the line. Yeah. 
But he said, it's little things like that. They've lost the drama. Yeah. They've lost that. Oh, we totally. know that. Like, totally, yeah. I mean, I, I would love to have heard him talk about the call-ups. Yeah. Like the last two rounds of call-ups when they did the big names as a slideshow presentation. Yeah, I know. Uh, so anyways, he continues, though. Hold on. I'll check and see who. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's an obvious name. Oh, Dolph. Oh, that's right. That's when Dolph and Drew were together. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about this bit. Uh, apparently, at some point after he came back, after he did his heel turn, um, he had to do some promo with the the. Were you to say Pooper Scooper? It yeah. was like it was like an escalating thing where one week he showed up with a surgical mask, then a then a gas mask, and then a full hazmat suit, and he said it was all ridiculous. So anyways, this Pooper yeah. Scooper thing, he really didn't like, but he knew Vince really liked it. He had to. I think, if I recall correctly, he was talking about when he had to run down the crowd. Yeah. And and talk about how gross they were. Yeah. And yeah, this line pooper scooper. Yeah. And then uh, so he tried to work with the writer, get it changed. Um, and they got notes. The writer got notes back from Vince, which said, quote, Dean needs to understand why he's insulting the audience. This is what Dean thought after that moment. He said, quote, why do I work here? I'm mm-hmm. a professional wrestler who can tell stories and come up with promos. I believe I have the capability to talk people into buildings. I believe that I developed these skills years ago and wanted to bring them here to WWE. And you just want me to say your stupid lines. If you want someone to read your stupid lines, hire an actor because they'd probably do a better job. I'm not interested in doing it. Bear in mind, this is a billion dollar company run by a man who's allegedly a genius. And keep in mind that we're all adults and we're talking about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he also talked about the, 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 uh, uh, the bit we referenced earlier, the doctor's office. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently there was a line in there, I believe, referencing Roman's uh, leukemia that he refused to say. So there was so there was the doctor's office bit, which was great because uh, he 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 preceded it by talking about how uh, why are we doing this prop comedy stuff? Yeah. And when he went to go talk to Vince about it, he had Vince knew in, in advance that he wasn't happy with it. And so Vince tries to convince him that it's not a comedy bit, that it's it's a serious thing. Yeah. And he says, we're not doing prop comedy. And Dean said, well, what is this giant syringe and this actor you hired to play a doctor? That's literally prop comedy right there. Um, so there was that. And then there was, yeah, there was. Here, I have the quote up right here. Okay, go ahead. Um, this is from Dean. This is again from WrestleZone. Remember I was saying about the one line? Okay, so let me proceed this really quick and then I'll All let right. you go. Right. So this was uh, specifically that one week. Uh, the week after he went heel, he turned on Seth. Roman had announced he had leukemia again. And he did the... And he did the bit about the retribution and he, he's got to answer to God now. That's the one he said he regrets saying, right? Uh, he said he felt really... He said he felt gross. He said as soon as... Something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing. As soon as it left my mouth, I felt gross. Yeah. And there's a worse... Yeah. Yeah, this is from the doctor's bit, I believe. Quote, remember when I was saying about the one line in the previous promo the week or so before, the promo also had a line regarding my actual friend, Roman Reigns, who was going through an actual leukemia that Vince wanted me to say. He tried talking me into saying it. This is where I absolutely drew the line. I, I was like, absolutely not. He actually tried to talk me into it a little bit, but I was like, absolutely not. He's like, oh, if you feel uncomfortable about it, that's fine. And that's where I finally had to put my foot down. It is the worst line. I'm not going to say it on air. I'll tell you after we're done, but I'm not going to say it on air. That's how bad it was. It would have been like a thing where somebody would have had to get fired. Maybe me. They would have lost sponsors. Susan G. Komen would have been like, and I don't know who wrote it, Vince himself or if it was a writer. 
If you're listening to it right now, you should be ashamed of yourself, the writer that is, or Vince, I guess. You won't believe it. If I would uh, have just said, said it, been like, okay, and read the script, I can't imagine. It would have been on me, not Vince. Anyway, so that's the day, that's that day. Those are just two example, examples in the day of the life of me. Yeah, he, uh, he, uh, he talks about how he, and this is true, there were so many things in, in preceding that. He also talks about how there were so many times when he understood that he would have to do something and then he would have to recover from it. And he said, I was always good at recovering. The fans would always come back to me, even though I had to do all this stuff that I knew was potentially going to bury me. Yeah. And he mentioned that. He says, that was one thing that I wouldn't have been able to come back from. Whatever that line was, I wouldn't have been able to come back from it, which is horrifying, yeah. which is absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Um, you could tell in the the promo you referenced earlier that he was un- obviously uncomfortable saying it while yeah, he was saying and, it. Yeah, and they immediately shifted away from the next yeah, week. Yeah, probably because he put his foot down. Yeah. Um, and it's one th- thing to... It's sketchy territory as it is to mm-hmm. to involve Roman's uh, diagnosis, his leukemia coming back into storyline, especially when the, the storyline involves probably Roman's two best friends in WWE. Yeah. Um, that's really sketchy uh, territory and even if everybody is on board mm-hmm. but if anybody's not yeah you just can't do it well that's the, the thing that we that 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 and if you're gonna do it you got to handle it with some degree of tact the thing that we try to do that we really do try to do here on the show is give the benefit of the doubt yeah you know it's yeah. in any normal world larson in any normal world in any normal creative circumstance yeah if you're going to reference a person's actual battle with cancer, you'd get the people involved together and say, this is the story I think that could be effective. These are the boundaries we must operate in. And if anybody's not on board with this, we don't do it. Right. But it doesn't work that way. No, no, it all, it just, it, one person has to be okay with it. And that's Vince. And yeah. Vince is mine. And if anybody else isn't okay with that, then they're the problem, not him. Sort of speaking to that, he uh, there's also one bit uh, where he recalls he had to take a 30-second rest before going to Vince's office for yet another meeting about script changes. He says, I remembered physically leaning on a road case and just feeling like actual exhaustion, emotional, physical, mental exhaustion, not so much because of that day, but because of six years of this. Six years of having to go into this man's office, this old man, and try to explain to him why wearing a surgical mask is a stupid idea, why carrying a little red, red wagon to the ring is a stupid idea. Remember, he did that for the Brock Lesnar mm-hmm. match. Why maiming a mannequin in the ring is a stupid idea. I was done. And he mentions this, this word, this phrase multiple times, self-preservation. He says, we are all just in self-preservation mode, trying to not look like idiots instead of creating good things. Yeah. Um, he preceded the the opening of the podcast was him listing off why he's grateful yeah. uh, to the WWE. He met his wife there and he had said to her uh, or he had thought anyways, he said, you know, if things go south, we can sell all of our stuff, get a camper and, and just kick around. He said, she's my best friend. Um, he said he didn't even look at the contract. The, 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 the that Vince offered him yeah. that he offered him. He says, and he even says, and this is why, I mean, it honestly is just a, a good portrait of the guy. He says, you know, I thought to myself, what if it's $10 million? What if it's a Brock-like contract? And then I thought to myself, what would I do with $10 million? He said, this is the most pedestrian thing ever. He says, my truck is paid off. I don't need $10 million. And it's just, I mean, 
you know, when you look at the extent of his of his career before WWE, you know, he's a deathmatch guy. Yeah. It, that was the one thing that was one of the coolest things about this was hearing that while he was injured, he would watch Impact. He would watch Ring of Honor. He would watch independent stuff. He would watch New Japan and he'd wake up in the middle of the night with ideas. And then the sad bit of that is he would realize that they're never going to fly. They're never going to fly. He had the man has a ton of passion. Yeah. When asked about who he wants to work with in AEW, he said everyone. He seemed like a real team player. Yeah. He seems like a team player. He seems very excited about I, the entire process. It seemed like the only aspect of frustration he had WB seemingly was just the, the portrayal of his character mm-hmm. and how it wasn't genuine to probably what he wanted to be, but more so gen, genuine to any semblance of a real person. Yeah. Um, he also talked about uh, WB's press release um, announcing his departure, and I guess the the, the rather uh, unique unusual, of it. yeah, well, the unusual send off all around. And he oh, thought, yeah, uh, he, that's just WB wanted to control the narrative about his departure. Yeah, again, we've heard several times about WB doesn't want to have the reputation of being a, a place no one wants to be or people aren't happy at. Mm-hmm. So if you do this, you, you go through the ballyhoo of uh, giving him a, a grand send off. Yeah, then it kind of controls, I guess, the narrative that. This is a happy place to work. He was told that he wasn't going to get buried on the way out, and they started jobbing him out to EC3 in two minutes. Uh, did they? I forget. Did they do that on on TV? I believe so. Okay, because they did it on the house show circuit too, and people would be booing the crap out of EC3, even though he was supposed to be the babyface yeah. there, because he was like, you know, God forbid. And apparently, Vince was furious about the crowd reaction, and he was like, well, God, you know, God forbid they have some respect for me. I know. Uh, after you didn't. Mm-hmm. He also says uh, how much he he reveals how much he made for that final Shield Network special. That's ridiculous, five hundred dollars, which him and Jericho both explained that's the minimum of what extras in the background get paid. That's what they get paid five hundred bucks, and that's what he got for his big big finish. Uh, they had uh, he said I guess he was furious the the conversation he had. So apparently he. Originally told uh, Triple H and I think Mark Carano, the talent relations guy, or one of the one yeah, of the, yeah, whatever, uh, that he wasn't. Uh, he says, you know, this is that he wasn't resigning with the company. It was a long time coming. It wasn't like one thing. It was a lot of things. He hadn't talked to Vince about it until he found out that he was going to have um, he was going to have a thing with Nia Jax that he was going to like have to bump for her, and he took that as them burying him on the way out. And he and he clarifies. He says, you know. I would, I would have loved, in the proper context, I would love to do a thing for Nia Jax. Says, I have no problem bumping for her. Uh, she's a very powerful woman. And, in fact, when they went over the rehearsal and stuff of what they did, he said, I really enjoyed it. And we were both laughing and having a good time. He said, but it was simply, I was told one thing, and then I find out after the fact that I'm doing something else that just makes me look bad on the way out, that buries me in the, you know, in the eyes of the fans or whatever on my way out. <clears throat> so he goes in there and he, and the conversation he has that he wants to have with Vince ends up being the one about him leaving. And, uh, Vince is saying, Oh no, we're not, you know, we're not doing that. And they explain also, uh, the, he says, yeah, at one point, uh, or Vince said, Oh yeah, you versus I, it's a big special attraction thing. And he says he had, you know, he had heard about the house show match they were supposed to have, and then it didn't happen, and he doesn't really know why. Hmm. I, it, honestly, it kind of just sounds like they were messing with him. Yeah, it could like be. Like they were just sort of messing with it him. Could be. Uh, it's. He talks about the uh, the trailer he he shot and released yeah, on Twitter. He yeah. said it cost eight thousand dollars. He paid for it all himself. Directed by Deathmatch legend uh, Sick Nick Mondo. Yeah, yeah. Who uh, transitioned from being Deathmatch wrestler to filmmaker. So yeah, he had known his time 
in Japan. Yeah. Um, reached out to him. They made it work out. And I mm-hmm. guess in the process of working on a feature film mm-hmm. together. So that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I know that is really cool. Um, and he, like, you know, he just he seemed relaxed. He seems, well, he used the word free. Yeah. You know, yeah. he used the word free. I like that he filmed that thing too. He's, he seems, he's a very savvy guy. He, uh, he filmed that thing in two days while still under contract with WWE. In February. In February. Two months before he left. Yeah. Yeah. And with the, with the stated, with the intention he knew from the outset, because he sat back and he thought, how do I want my, my exit to look? Yeah. And he had like he was like yeah no, I don't know how he does it they, they can set these things to to be released oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, literally the minute his contract had expired yeah at midnight he mm-hmm. said he was at doing a, giving a speech for at the Cauliflower Alley Club when yeah. it was released and he said that while they were shooting this in February his two days off he was spent working yeah uh, they got a, a text from Vince mm-hmm. and Vince was asking him to work the European tour after WrestleMania mm. and Dean said he entertained it for a moment because it's probably decent money yeah and then he was like nah call Dave. Mm-hmm. Batista, Triple yeah. H, any of those guys, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I got a film commitment. Yeah. Which was the thing he was shooting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It is It is definitely, definitely, and there's a bunch of stuff we haven't even talked about. Uh, it's definitely, definitely a must listen. Yeah. Uh, I was getting the I was getting my kid ready this morning while I was on. I, Lacey was l- listening to it. the few the little the little bits that Lacey had seen of wrestling. She always liked Dean Ambrose, mm-hmm. uh, and so she was uh, she was pretty interested in it. Um, it doesn't come off as bitter at all either. You know, th- there's nothing this guy has anything to be bitter about. He's made a ton of money there. He met his wife. Seemingly, he grew as a performer there. Him and Jericho just both. And this is I mean, this is this is their mantra: change the world, change mm-hmm. the universe. Mm-hmm. Change the freaking way wrestling is done yep. Yep. on the biggest stage. Yep. And he says, you know, in, in his words, he said he he doesn't consider that he doesn't want them to. He doesn't see them competing with WWE. They just want to put on the best product they can. Yeah. And if one byproduct of that is WWE potentially changing the way they do things creatively, we all want better wrestling. Yeah, we all want better wrestling. I don't want to be sitting there. You know, we're sitting there on the drive back from Vegas. Not one match. Uh, in the first 47 minutes, 52 minutes or whatever of Monday Night Raw. That's yeah. not how it should be done. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, I, I, one of the things he said, too, um, let me find the quote. He said, quote, the creative process sucks. Change it when speaking yeah. more or less directly to WWE. Yeah. And you can't really argue with it. That's that's the primary complaint of pretty much every wrestling fan right now is that the creative just isn't interesting. It's not captivating. Yeah. It's not bringing people in. Yeah. People don't want to tune in to WB because of their interest in creative. People just—I think people just generally like the talents, mm-hmm. and that's why they watch. They don't watch for the. Creative I think it, the thing like. is the talent. The talent there is so good mm-hmm. that they can still make an entertaining product, uh, in spite of or uh, yeah, in spite of terrible, in creative. spite of terrible, despite creative. creative, despite yeah, yeah I never know creative. how to use either of those terms. Uh, because I mean, if you look at stuff like NXT, it's great. If you look at, uh, I mean, SmackDown on a week to week basis can be very entertaining. It's just, you do have to ask yourself, uh, how much better could it be? Mm -hmm. And if you look at something like double or nothing, uh, where it's just all pure and, and I understand, I totally get that, you know, WWE is producing five hours of content per week and, and all elite has done, you know, I mean, as, as a company, they've done one show. You could consider all in another show as well. But it's obvious that they're brimming with ideas, with fascinating characters, and they're letting these characters breathe, and they're going to live or die on that. Mm-hmm. And so far, they've made a really good impression. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, in a lot of respects, that's the way wrestling for the longest time was conducted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So and you could make the case that during the 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 highest heights that wrestling has ever enjoyed, that was how more or less business was conducted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to get away from that, <laughs> although I don't know, man, listening to it, one one thing one thing that would kind of interest me would be to uh, well, no, I mean that's a funny thing, like listening to the 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 Pritchard podcast, how he was talking about. Um, uh, Stone Cold in '97 was supposed to go up against uh, Farouk, Ron Simmons. Yeah, and then they realized that uh, Rocky was Rock, the, the Rock was getting the bigger reactions, and so they went with that instead. Yeah, and these days it just seems like it's it's so they just went got ahead with what they originally had planned. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and I, I wonder be- where that changed. I, I'm 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 curious. Probably because, when the company went public and there was more money on the line. I could be. That That'd could be my be. guess. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. It is a fascinating listen, though. Uh, I, I would definitely recommend it, checking it out as soon as possible. Uh, but later on today, uh, we're going to go, like in a little bit, we're going to go live with our uh, SmackDown, Smackdown recap. recap. Yeah. Uh, so check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.